Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Medical Affairs Professional Society's Digital Focus Area Working Group's podcast series, Digital First Scientific Communications, How Digital is Transforming Medical Communications. In these podcasts, we speak with experts in the field of scientific communications and discuss how the digital transformation of medical publishing is opening opportunities for medical communicators. I'm Jennifer Riggins. I'll be the moderator for today's podcast. I currently serve as a member of the Digital Focus Area Working Group, and I've worked in pharma for about 30 years with a focus on medical information, scientific communications, and medical digital. And I currently work as a technology and partnership strategist for FactMI. I'm joined by Steve Casey of Omni Healthcare Communications, or Omni HC for short, a leader in digital-first medical communications. The views expressed in this recording are those of the individuals and not necessarily reflect on the opinions of MAPS or the companies in which they are affiliated. This presentation is for informational purposes only, and it's not intended as legal or regulatory advice. We encourage you to learn more about digital optimization of medical communication. There are so many enduring educational materials available through MAPS, including the first season of this podcast, Elevate articles on audience amplification and contemporary publication planning, an audience amplification webinar and annual meeting workshops that have been recorded and are housed on the MAPS website. Through our podcast series, we hope to help listeners better understand how and why medical communication is changing and where it's going in the future. The benefits of digital first development of medical communication new digital channels and communications that can enhance and improve publication access and resonance. In this, our third episode of the season, we'll be discussing open access in medical publishing from the medical publisher's perspective with Layla Moore. Layla is the Director for Open Access Policy for the multinational publisher Wiley. Welcome, Layla. Thanks so much for joining us today. How about if we start by you giving us a brief background of your career and the responsibilities of being the director for open access policy at Wiley? Yes, absolutely happy to. And, and many thanks for inviting me along to take part in this podcast today. Um, so I've been working in academic publishing for over 15 years now, and I've worked for a number of publishers, including university presses and um, larger publishing companies. Uh, I joined Wiley in 2021 as Director of Open Access Policy after spending um, around 10 years working for Taylor and Francis. Uh, and this is where I first became really interested in open access publishing. I've been part of the open access transformation since the early days, and I've really enjoyed playing a role in the transition to open access. My role at Wiley is really interesting and really varied. Um, a major part of this role involves staying up to date with the ever-changing open access policies and mandates that we're seeing coming from research funders, universities and governments. Um, and publishers are working really hard to continue to enable as many authors as possible to publish in their journal of choice, irrespective of funder or institutional mandate. Um, and a really key part of my role is to make strategic recommendations for the business based on these external developments. Thank you for that. I think you have a wealth of experience that's going to be really valuable to our listeners here. This is the second podcast this season that we've had on open access. Uh, we did an earlier episode with Catherine Scoby to help launch Open Access Week. That episode focused on open access and how important it is from a biopharma perspective. 
In this episode, uh, we want to concentrate a little bit more on open access from a publisher point of view. So maybe we should start off by doing a bit of a, uh, a level set. So Layla, could you explain for the listener what open access is from your perspective as an open access publisher and how it works within Wiley? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say open access from a publisher's perspective is not really that different from open access from a researcher or policymaker perspective. Um, I don't think there's one rule for us and one rule for others. Put simply, open access is a, a mechanism to make published research accessible to anyone with an internet connection. It does get a little more complicated and there are lots of things that, that vary within the open access world. Um, but some of the basics, there are a number of different funding models when it comes to open access, and authors can choose different license types that offer different levels of reuse rights. From CCBY, which is a license that allows anyone to reuse content however they wish without having to request permission, um, as long as they reference the original author, to licenses such as CCBYNCND. And the NC stands for non-commercial, the ND stands for no derivatives, which may basically means it's a stricter license that allows reuse, but only if it's not for commercial purposes and if the original work is not altered in any way. Um, and there are a number of different licenses I won't go into today, but it does mean that there are options for different circumstances, which I think is a really good thing. Um, at Wiley, we charge article publication charges, which are often called APCs, um, in order to publish open access. We have over 450 fully open access journals and over 1,400 hybrid journals. Hybrid journals are subscription journals that also have an open access publishing option. As these journals publish more and more open access content, we assess the viability of what we call flipping them to fully open access, which means moving away from the subscription part of the journal and becoming fully open access. And in 2022, we flipped 40 journals from the hybrid model to fully open access. Um, one important mechanism from our perspective that's had a huge impact on the transition to open access publishing is the transformational agreement, which is often referred to as a TA. Wiley is leading the way when it comes to transformational agreements. And what these agreements do is allow authors to publish open access, but for the APC to be covered by their institution. Often these agreements are agreed with consortia or at a countrywide level. And these agreements are really helping to drive the transition to open access and helping institutions transition some of their subscription spending to cover publishing costs instead of reading costs. Um, so that's been a really useful tool in sort of trying to drive this open access movement. That's awesome. Hi, Leila. It's good to uh, talk to you. I've been looking forward to this episode for some time. In our earlier episode with Catherine Scobie, we discussed how we peel back the onion of open access. It, it's really something that is directly related to the digital transformation of the publishing in the industry. Prior to digital publishing, you know, back in the old print style, there really was no open access model. By offering open access to authors, what are publishers trying to accomplish? And really, how does that fit with the overall open science movement? Thanks, Steve. Um so I would say open access wasn't a movement that was invented by publishers. And I think we've embraced the open access movement as a response to changing author needs. By offering open access options, we're striving to continue to provide a route to publication across our portfolios for as many authors as possible. 
Uh, we're transitioning journals to open access at a speed that suits individual communities, be that subject communities, individual societies or global regions, which is why a mixed model is currently the right approach for us. The groundbreaking findings published by researchers help move our world forward every day, not to mention the fact that COVID-19 pandemic, as well as other pressing global challenges such as climate change and monkeypox, underscore the essential role that scientific research plays in society and the need to make it more widely available. And this is what I think is precisely the goal of the open access movement. We know that access to high quality information can really change lives. Open science or open research, as it's sometimes referred to, aims to open up the entire research process. So we're moving beyond just making the research article open and on to things like making the proposals open, um, publishing preprints, opening up the peer review process and making associated data open. At Wiley, we've been running a number of pilots to see if authors are ready to embrace these practices. Initially, uptake has been quite slow. But I think this may be because there needs to be a shift in, in sort of the research culture and in rewards and incentive structures for researchers. Currently, open research practices are not rewarded and therefore researchers are not necessarily incentivized to carry out the extra work to make all of their outputs open. I also think we're not quite there yet in terms of the infrastructure needed to make this process as easy as possible for researchers. So I think we're on our way, but I think there's still quite a lot more work still to be done. Yeah, I find that really interesting, and I think that's a great point, um, especially regarding the infrastructure and the incentives that are needed for authors and researchers. As the director of open access policy, you're at the forefront learning about open access innovations in this medical publishing industry and how they're being deployed. So do you think that there are future advances in medical publishing open access that will occur soon or over a longer period of time, perhaps? So I, I, as I kind of mentioned just a moment ago, I, I do still think there is more work to do around infrastructure and in, in terms of advocating around the benefits of open access publishing. Publishing medical research open access means that readers across the globe can access important research without barriers. And this is a huge benefit that could have global impact but a lot of medical research still remains behind paywalls, um, with those who may benefit the most from it not at the moment having access. Organisations such as Open Pharma are really helping to put open access publishing on the agenda, and publishers can help support this work by carrying out their own advocacy work, providing open access publishing options and working with institutions and funders to ensure that the correct kind of funding mechanisms are in place to support open access publishing without the burden having to fall to researchers. Beyond open access, I also think things like preprints are becoming more and more important. During the COVID crisis, we saw preprints becoming something that was much more common and much more widely used. Um, preprints are a way to rapidly and openly share research. But I do think that open peer review and preprints could go hand in hand and could be a great way to increase opportunities for collaboration. For example, once preprints have been peer reviewed, they can be submitted to a journal for publication, along with the peer review comments, which could help to speed up the publication process. And we're also seeing a lot more interest in things like open data. And it's something that we're seeing a lot more in funder open access policies that are coming through. Researchers are now being mandated to make data associated with their research publicly available. And I expect this to become more prevalent in medical publishing in the near future. 
There are some issues to consider around data in medical research, such as protecting personal data um, and things like that. But with clear parameters in place and guidance and training for researchers and staff around implementation, this would be a real benefit for medical research and help to minimise duplication of efforts and maximise opportunities for collaboration. Layla, when I, I think about how open access is being implemented by subscription publishers like Wiley, I think about how this new approach to publishing is creating challenges within the business model. A big challenge that probably has the most relevance to the audience is the copyright of the content. How does Wiley currently handle copyright? And is there a difference between how copyrights are maintained for non-commercial and commercially sponsored content? Um, interesting question. Thanks, Steve. Um, we don't have a policy at Wiley where commercially sponsored research is treated any differently to other outputs. However, individual journal policies may differ um, as we work with a lot of individual societies who may have their own policies in place. Um, and a small proportion of our health science journals only allow CCBY, which was the license I mentioned previously, that allows reuse for any purpose um, as an option if the author has a mandate. Otherwise, we offer all license types across all of our open access journals and our hybrid journals. There are so many benefits to publishing industry-sponsored research open access. It improves transparency. It helps to increase trust in the pharmaceutical industry, which can only be a good thing. That's why we like to offer a wide choice of license for our authors who have different circumstances, different needs. And we publish over 2,500 pharma-sponsored papers in our journals each year. But only a small proportion of these are currently published open access. So we would love to see this number increase. Um, and obviously, through all of the advocacy work we're hoping to do and the things that other organisations do, we would really love to see this increase in coming years. That's great. Just, just as a quick follow-up to that last question, does Wiley extend the same copyright approach for other types of publishing, such as enhanced publication content, uh, like video summaries and plain language summaries? So currently, all of our video summaries or video abstracts that we also have are free access. So they, are, they don't have an open access license attached to them. Plain language summaries are usually embedded in the article, and they're either free access if it's in a non-open access article, or we'll have the same open access license if published in an open access article. This is a really interesting question, though, and something we may consider reviewing in the future to maybe try to ensure the author remains attributed to the content if it's reused in any way. But currently, yes, they're all accessible, just not with an open access license. So when I think about the open science movement, and in particular, open access, I think about how much the whole movement aligns with contemporary diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. When we talk about open access, we generally jump to talk about how open access is helping those in third world nations. However, you know, open access can make it easier for HTPs in lower socioeconomic areas gain access to medical information, helping to bring state-of-the-art care to patients in lower socioeconomic communities. So do you see diversity, equity, and inclusion playing a role in open access decisions within Wiley and then outside of Wiley also? Thanks for the great question, Jennifer. And yes, I absolutely do. I think open access brings with it great advances in terms of access to content. More readers than ever have access to content that would not have been possible prior to the open access movement. 
However, on the flip side, open access does bring with it problems in terms of access to publishing. Readers in lower socioeconomic communities have access to content that may struggle to pay article publication charges. Organisations such as Research for Life play a really important role in enabling authors in low and lower middle income economies to publish open access. Um, by working with publishers, including Wiley, to offer waivers and discounts for article publishing charges. There are still problems to solve, though, and that doesn't solve everything. And I think at Wiley, we want to go further to try to tackle inequality for those regions that don't have funds to pay APCs, but are also not classed as low or lower middle income economies. So would therefore not be covered by things like the Research for Life scheme. One of those regions in particular is South America. And in fact, we recently signed our first transformational agreement in this region, which will enable authors to publish open access in widely hybrid journals without having to pay the APC themselves, which I think is a great first step at looking at a sustainable solution that will help solve some of the issues around equity and open access. Well, that's awesome. I, I agree. That's a great first step. We've, we've discussed a lot about open access on this podcast so far, and we we also understand that uh, from your earlier um, mention that Wiley's a member of Open Pharma, uh, and that's an organization that looks to drive positive change in the communication of pharma-sponsored research. Can you give us a quick overview of Open Pharma and why Wiley has become a member of the group? Yeah, absolutely. Um, open Pharma is an institution an organisation that strives to improve trust and transparency in pharma publishing through open science practices, um, which includes open access. Increasing trust and transparency in research publishing is something that's very close to my heart and is one of the reasons why I became so invested in open access all those years ago. There are so many benefits to open access publishing, and I genuinely believe, irrespective of some of the challenges that it may present, it's all worth all of the hard work and the commitment at Wiley, we decided to support Open Pharma by becoming a member of the group because we're committed to the open access transition and we're fully aware that there's still work to do to ensure researchers understand the benefits of open science practices. Um, open Pharma play an integral role in educating researchers and pharma organisations and we want to support this initiative as we strive to achieve the same goals. So Layla, uh, Steve and I want to thank you for joining us today and being a part of our podcast series. Um, this has been really informative, and I really think this podcast has, uh, will be of great help and interest to our audience. So thank you so much. Um, thank you so much this, for having me. really enjoyed it. You're welcome. This has been Jennifer Riggins and Steve Casey bringing you Season 2, Episode 3 of Digital First Scientific Communications a podcast production of the Digital Focus Area Working Group of the Medical Affairs Professional Society. If you're a MAPS member, thank you for your support of MAPS. If you're not yet a MAPS member, I want to encourage you to join so you can access additional resources such as those mentioned in this podcast. Visit the MAPS website today at medicalaffairs.org backslash join maps. This concludes this episode of the Digital First Publications Podcast.